Thank you for joining us. My guest today is John Shannon. John has spent a lifetime around the game as executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada, working for the league, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, and being a broadcaster for Sportsnet. John currently co-hosts the Bob McCown podcast. It is an honor to welcome John to this podcast. What have the last five months been like for you and your family? It's been different for everyone. So how are you doing? Uh, well, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I, I don't really work very hard in the hockey off season. And so to, to me, it was, this was an extended uh, hockey off season. Uh, we live a pretty quiet life away from uh, the, uh, the rush of an arena and airports and whatever. So it was, uh, it was quiet time there, you know, other than wearing a mask and uh, waiting in lines for grocery stores and a few other stores. Uh, it was uh, it was life uh, pretty normal around here. If, if you've been, are you in Toronto or the Toronto area? Yes. So, you know, that was selected as one of the hub cities. Has it been? Have you felt safe going out in general? You said wearing masks that people it, that is a safe space for the NHL to be. Oh yeah, uh, um, you know, Sam, we're. We've had a different, I think we've had a different attitude about the pandemic in our country. Um, you know, we've embraced wearing masks much quicker than a lot of places in the United States. Um, you know, we, you know, there's all these stories about Canadians being nicer and more pleasant. Well, I'm not necessarily sure that's true, but um, you know, when, when our, when our, public health officers when our government says hey listen look at you better be careful you better be you better look after yourself most of us pay attention most of us don't think it's infringing on our rights we think they're looking after us uh and uh i i think that that has been a huge blessing uh with with what's gone on with the pandemic uh you know yesterday in toronto with a, a city of of seven million people uh, there were less than 70 cases uh, and and that truly is amazing. Uh, our percentages are so much lower than our percentages in Canada and, and, and even now in Ontario are so much lower than most places, particularly in the United States. So having kind of said all that, a few days in watching the, some of the exhibition games, watching the teams go into the bubble about a week ago, what have you thought of the NHL's plan? Well, I, I, I don't want to jinx it. I, uh, it has uh, it has worked. Uh, the, the reports and the discussions I've had with people is that the, the bubble in Toronto, the bubble in Edmonton are working very well. Uh, players actually feel safer inside the bubble than they do in public places. Uh, you When you have two hockey-mad cities like uh, Edmonton and Toronto as your host cities uh, you get a ton of cooperation from city government from the municipalities so uh, to see uh, erected uh, uh, fences uh, in public places so the players can walk uh, in privacy uh, and be protected from the public uh, I'm not sure you'd get that many other places uh, that that has certainly happened here uh, and it has certainly worked on the ice uh, you know, exhibition hockey is exhibition hockey. Although there seems to be a little more intensity, I think there's I think there's a ton of relief on players' faces and in the way they play 
that they are back playing hockey, that uh, uh, the world that they are so comfortable in uh, is close to normal. Um, but that said, when everything gets gets going on Saturday for the uh, the qualifiers, I think we'll see a little different intensity, and, and that'll be important. It, it, what's your biggest fear going into this? Well, I think it's the same fear that everybody has, is that we don't finish. And if we don't finish, then, um, you know, it was a great try. They deserve credit for trying. They didn't use the idle time wastefully. Uh, they had a plan in place and, uh, and, and, and put the plan uh, into, uh, into attack. And, and the, but, you know, if, if there's outbreaks in both cities, uh, then that has to be a, that has to be a, a major concern. I think everyone kind of took notice this week with what's happening and happened with the Miami Marlins. And I guess my biggest concern, maybe looking at it would be you can kind of do that in baseball when you're still playing a regular season, you can play less games. You can, I mean, credit to what the MLS has done, but they kind of made this tournament up. So pulling two teams out, wasn't a big deal. What happens if there's an outbreak with an NHL team and they can't play for five days or two weeks do, do they have a contingency plan? Like, can you just pull a team out in the conference semifinals and say you're done? Or what do you think they would do then? Well, I, I mean, I, I do think they have a plan. I just don't think we'll ever know it if it does. And, and they won't invoke it un, unless it happens. Now, I mean, uh, and, and I worked for Gary Bettman and uh, I, I don't think that there's any question that Gary has ever been asked in his career that he doesn't really know the answer to. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm sure between he and Bill Daly and Colin Campbell and, and their medical committee, uh, they, have, they do have a, a plan that they hope they don't have to invoke. And uh, by saying that, there's no point in us knowing until they make a decision. So uh, it, what happens is, you know, the, the only other time that uh, hockey was playing um, and then stopped and what the cup wasn't awarded was, you know, the, the, you know, 1918 and the, the Spanish flu in, in Seattle and Montreal. Um, you know, it happens. It, it's happened once. It was a long time ago. Uh, but that's the reality of, that's the reality of working through a pandemic. You know, the one thing I can tell you is, is that, uh, in talking with, with Gary, uh, on our uh, with Bob McCown on our own podcast, um, you know he he understands that science comes first. He understands that health and safety comes first, uh, and then playing the games follows that. Uh, so many of us are too worried about the the game on the ice, and I think his overall vision of uh, of the ice beyond the ice, health and safety of players, health and safety of of NHL employees. Um, I, I think is, uh, is, is quite commendable. You mentioned your interview with Gary. I watched or watched and listened to it yesterday with Bob McCown, the Bob McCown podcast that stars John Shannon. Um, I'd like to think that, I, I think you've got it right there. My friend McCown doesn't seem to see it the same way, but that's okay. Well, you, you've got a work new, new contract negotiation when your, your rights come up. Um, but he seemed relaxed to me, more relaxed than he'd, and maybe it's just because they're finally there and playing than when I've seen him do his, you know, his Zoom press conferences or his return to play video. But, and maybe it was just 
being with you and Bob, who he's comfortable with, but he seemed kind of relaxed. Did he strike that as you yesterday? Well, I think it was relief more than relaxation. Um, you know, I think that these last 140 days have been pretty stressful. I think that in that 140 days, there have been times where he was convinced that they weren't going to play again. Again, we would never know that. He would never share that uh, through the 140 days. Uh, but for his, his group of guys to execute the plan, execute it well, to watch the pictures come out of Scotiabank Arena and Rogers Place look so good, um, that I think that sense of, well, we've, we've crossed one bridge, now we have you know, five more bridges to cross. I think that was just a sense of relief on Gary's face. You mentioned that you've worked with the league, you've worked with teams, you've worked, you've produced Hockey Night Canada. You've been can't, I can't keep a job, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you've, you've been behind the scenes enough. Was this ever a plan? Was there ever like, hey, if there's a pandemic, is there an if there's a war, if there's this? You know, we kind of saw this with 9-11, although the NHL wasn't, it was just starting training camps at this point, but did they have, was this ever talked about or was there a plan in a folder somewhere buried deep that we have attacks for this? Or do you think the NHL and the other sports leagues are almost completely caught off guard here? I think society was caught off guard. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't think here in North America, we took the warnings serious at all. Uh, and not just sports leagues, but companies. Uh, and, and I, I think that uh, uh, there wasn't a folder for the pandemic. There, there was a folder for labor issues. There was, uh, you know, there's a folder uh, in case of weather, uh, what happens in, the, in those scenarios. But there wasn't a folder for the pandemic. And, and this was, uh, quite frankly, this was read and react on the fly uh, through a very difficult time. Selfishly, do you wish you were doing in a high-level position right now? Would you love to be involved, or are you happy to watch this from the sidelines and see how it plays out? Well, I think you always like being involved. I, uh, you know, I, um, I, in, at, at my age, I'm in my early sixties. I, you know, I, I don't feel I need to be involved every day. I don't get frustrated that they're doing it and I'm not. Uh, that really hasn't crossed my mind. I, I still feel somehow some way i'm involved i still talk to lots of people i get phone calls from people inside the league and outside the league whether it be at teams or at networks on what would you do in this scenario uh, i get treated very well i get treated with respect so uh, i feel in in my own way sam i'm i am involved uh with with everything and, and life's pretty good personally you've owned, you've earned that respect over the years as well thank a fan you that's very yours. kind of you watching those exhibition games, what have you thought of kind of the presentation? I know they've alluded to there'll be more when the actual games start on Saturday, but what have you thought of producing a television game with, with no spectators? Well, if you do Olympics early on, when you're, when you'd have the, the, the game between the Ukraine and uh, sorry, Ukraine, there's no the there. When you do the game between Ukraine and Belarus, and you're in Japan, there's, no PD, there's nobody in the crowd either. Um, so, the, 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 you know, this is, this is a normal way of 
producing television, uh, more on the international stage uh, in non-hockey markets. Uh, I think it's been fine. I, I, I'm not going to glow about it. Uh, I, I think the pictures are, are nice. I think that the, as the teams are going through their exhibition game, I think that the practice that the broadcasters are going through, uh, producers, directors, technicians, uh, is the same. Uh, the one challenge I would uh, give to everybody uh, that's involved is to remember that with nobody in the building, there's no excuse not to be lower and not to be closer. You know, that's where we should be. So uh, you, can, you can add any cameras you want. I think it's fantastic. I saw uh, one scenario uh, on a power play yesterday in the Washington game where the handheld camera in the corner moved up to be basically be over Alex Ovechkin's shoulder uh, on the power play as he takes that one-timer. That's what we should be doing more of. Uh, I don't want to be higher and wider. I want to get closer to the game. I want to see more close-ups of players' faces. That's what this opportunity should give us when it comes to not worrying about obstructing uh, paying customers. I think especially reading online, there was some confusion when people saw world feed and what exactly that meant. I think you mentioned doing it for the Olympics. As a broadcaster at home, if you're watching NBC or CBC or Sportsnet, are, are they people going to notice a difference that it's being produced as a world feed? To, I mean, you, you probably will more than anyone else. People in the industry might. But do you think the average person at home is going to notice that difference? Probably not. Uh, what you won't get is um, specific replays at specific times. There has to be a more generic um, coverage pattern that says, okay, we're going to have to cover it fairly for this. You're, you're, the editorial side uh, and the marriage between what the commentators say and what the pictures are won't be as succinct uh, as, it, as it would have been if it was an NBC feed uh, reading and reacting to what Doc Emmerich and Eddie Olchek were saying. Um, it'll, it'll be more of, okay, here's what the pictures are and here's what we're trying to do. But every once in a while, the conversation between the two broadcasters will go off track completely to what the pictures are. Um, and and, and I, I do think there will be times where uh, the viewer will maybe not recognize it, but will wonder, well, why are they talking about this when the picture is that? And I think that that may occur. That, and that's, that's normal for these type of situations. How big of a challenge do you think it's going to be for broadcasters who aren't there? I know some are, some aren't. But calling the games off the monitors, even if they have different feeds, is, is that going to be a challenge for some of these broadcasters? Yeah, it is. Um, you, you know, I mean, the, basically who's allowed in is NBC as the national rights holder of the United States. They're allowed to be on site. Uh, Rogers in Canada, uh, they're allowed to be on site. All of the regional broadcasters are not allowed to be there. So they have to call it uh, off tube. Even radio has to call it off tube, um, which is also difficult. The, the interesting thing for me, Sam, is the, the one part that has really proved to be solid is the, uh, is the sound. Um, you know, you, the ability to hear skates and sticks and, and glass and boards and voices uh i've I, you know in, in listening to a few of the radio broadcasts and listening to uh, uh maybe six or seven of the regionals 
you, you do get that ambient noise uh, that makes you feel that you're, you're there and part of it. Um, so now, it, now the challenge becomes for the announcers is their ability to understand the ebb and flow and recognize players uh, off a TV monitor as opposed to from the press box. Uh, and then be able to continue to tell those same stories that they would have told if they were in the arena. Uh, one good example of the difference between being in the arena and not is uh, late in a game, uh, many times a, 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 an analyst will look over to the bench while the play's at the other end and see whether the coach is signaling for the goaltender to come to the bench for the extra man. Well, you're not going to see that on a feed when the puck is in the other corner. Uh, and those are the types of little things uh, that we may miss uh, as, uh, as, the, as the tournament goes on. Uh, I watched uh, uh, Sam Rosen and Joe Micheletti do part of the Ranger game, and the only time that they knew Henrik Lundqvist was pulled from the net was when they saw Henrik Lundqvist on the bench, and that would not be the case if they were there in person. Is there also a balance between covering this kind of as a unique or, you know, a, a sideshow with, Hey, there's no fans and all, you know, all that kind of story to it. Um, I noticed that in a couple of the baseball games where the announcers seem more focused on that. That's because they're, the that's, that's because they, that's because they don't have the direction and haven't been told, Hey, listen, treat it as a game. You know, that, that to me is something I think as we, as the tournament wears on, that becomes less and less a factor. Uh, and uh, I'm not suggesting that you ignore it, but at a certain point, it becomes a crutch. At a certain point, when you actually are, are involved in the game and you know, the Edmonton Oilers are playing and Connor McDavid's uh, on the bench and you can see Connor McDavid, there's no point in you talking about uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the pageantry of, of the seats being covered. Uh, I, I think, I, th I think though in many situations, and if you watch games or listen to the games, I think if they're talking too much about, uh, what's not occurring on the playing surface, uh, I think that they just don't have anything else to say. And it becomes a crutch. One of the things you mentioned, or you talked about with Gary y yesterday was he, you know, you said penciled in, I think was the word. The no, no, I, I, I said, uh, so the, you, you, on your critical calendar date dates, you have the next regular season starting in December. And I asked him if it was in light pencil, uh, which I, I know how Gary thinks uh, having worked with him. So I, I knew he would like that. And, and it's in light pencil because I, and he wouldn't commit to it. Uh, but I am uh, for the people that I have talked to, I fully believe that I don't think next season will start without people in the seats. So if that means they delay it from, December to January to February so that we can ensure that pe paying public can be in seats uh, to generate more revenue. Uh, I, I fully think that that's the way the NHL will go. So if they push back the start in the best case scenario, it's going to take a year or two to get back on to track, but do, do you think they'll ever start first week of October again, or is this, is there a fraction we'll use this to kind of, change the entire layout of the schedule and push this later or do something else. I know there's always been this kind of talk or fear of people not wanting to play in the fall and push the Stanley cup into a midsummer event. Well, 
I, I don't, I don't think that uh, if we ever get back to a level of normal, I think we'll always see an October start. Uh, you know, and, th and this goes to now within 18 months, we're going to have 32 teams of the national hockey league, 24, 24, 25 of which are in the United States. Um, but the driving business force in so many ways of this league still is Canada. And we want our hockey in October. Uh, we, you know, we're, our kids have gone back to school. Our lives have settled down. Uh, you know, we're, we're not as, we, there's lots of football fans in our country, but we're not in tune with, as to, in tune with the NFL uh, as, uh, as America is. We want the NHL to start as soon as possible. We'd like it to start in September, but that's not possible. Um, so I, I, I don't see, uh, even though I've, I've been in meetings when, you know, the presidents of clubs and some owners have pushed for November starts. I, I think there has to be a respect given to the Canadian markets uh, and the, the level of importance that hockey is in Canada uh, that allows us to still start that first week in October. So let's let's go a little on the ice. I mean, let's face it. Let's face it. The only reason hockey's on the air now is because it's being played in Canada. Not, being, you know, the, the, uh, maybe this is a, a good lesson for, and, and there are great hockey fans in the United States. I love going and watching games in U.S. buildings, uh, but the, the, there might be a little more respect paid to the Canadian markets after this, based on the success of the two bubble cities. Well, okay, let me ask you this. If come December or January, you, you can have fans in Canada, but you can't in most or you know, half the United States, which I, uh, to, to me, as we talked about earlier, is a very real possibility. What's the plan there? Oh, I'm sure they have a plan somewhere. You know, I mean, uh, if they want to play all the games in Canada in front of paying public, you know, that uh, – uh, I, I'm sure, as I said, the, you asked about folders. I'm sure there's a folder somewhere in the New York office that says, okay, Canada only. I, I always remind everybody that if you, if you look on the other side of the Stanley Cup, if we're, you know, we're on one side, it says uh, Lord Stanley of Preston. On the other side, it says it's the Dominion Challenge Cup. Uh, it was made for hockey in Canada. Um, so perhaps that's just a, an omen of, of what could happen. Uh, you know, I, 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 I do think that at a certain point, though, um, we're, we're going to get over the hump somehow and, and, uh, and people are going to be able to come into arenas uh, safely, healthy, uh, to, uh, to watch hockey. And hopefully it's in all 31 teams for the upcoming season and 32 teams in October of 21. Let's hope so. Um, switching just quickly, a few minutes we got left here. What series, what matchup in these qualifying rounds intrigues you the most? Well, I think uh, the the one in the West has to be Edmonton, Chicago. This is a real test for the Oilers. I think they will beat Chicago, uh, but uh, and and they've been a different team since the new year started. Um, when uh, Keller Yamamoto actually got elevated and got put with Leon Dreisaitl. Uh And with a healthy Connor, Connor McDavid now, and uh, I, I truly believe that this four-month gap for him has helped him with that knee. He played last season, but I, I'm, you know, he, and he was 
confident the way he played. He scored well. But I think this extra four months has helped Connor McDavid too. So I, I think that, that that series to me is fascinating because of the Oilers' speed. Uh, and what, what people were going to notice when they watched that series is the Oilers now for a team a year ago that we didn't think had much depth, has much more depth uh, on, on the blue line and on their third and fourth lines that that makes a difference. The other one, I, the other side, um, I, I think I'm going to just go with the conventional. I, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to watch the New York Rangers. They lost to the Islanders in their exhibition game. But I, I think the New York Rangers and the way they play the game and that Ranger Carolina series is going to be uh, going to be fun to watch. Uh, this this goaltender Shosturkin is the real deal. I, I expect him to start, even though Henrik looked really good in their game against the Islanders. I expect Shosturkin to start. He's the future for the Rangers, uh, and if uh, if if he he can make a difference like he did in the regular season for the Rangers, then uh, then they uh, they have to be watched. If you're a GM, how much stock are you putting, if you're one of these teams in the qualifying, especially teams, you know, I'd look at like Calgary, Winnipeg, where they're two teams that really could be at a crossroads and very different paths if they make the playoffs versus miss the playoffs in a normal season. And same thing, Nashville, the Rangers, there's Carolina, there's all these teams that are kind of, you weren't sure what to make of them. If you're a GM, what do you make of whether your team succeeds or fails in a best of five qualifying series or do you kind of just chalk this up to whatever it is and see how next year plays out? Well, the fact that the 24 teams are probably healthier than ever, ever been before, um, that the gap between the best team and the worst team, I, I don't want to call them worst team because I think they're all pretty good right now, but the gap is really, really short. It's a small gap uh, and a team could go on a run uh, and and be a lot deeper in the playoffs than they ever imagined. And, and su- simultaneously, I think a manager would be saying, okay, listen, this is a one-off. We're, we need to get better. We're, we're in that rebuild mode. We have to be patient with ourselves. And I think, on, on the other hand, he, he, he would be saying if they got eliminated in the first round, he says, hey, listen, you know, that's the, that's the, the, the slight edge between good and bad, between uh, any team – right now in the, in the, uh, in the playoffs. I mean, if, let's, let's look at Vancouver, Minnesota. There's not much difference between those two teams. There really isn't. Uh, if, if the wild can get competent goaltending, then they're going to, they're going to give uh, the Canucks fits. Uh, you know, I, 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 that Nashville, Arizona series, I give the edge to, to the predators because of their blue line. But if, if Arizona won, I don't think anybody should be surprised. Uh, and, and I think that there's, other than Montreal-Pittsburgh, uh, I, I almost think that other than Montreal-Pittsburgh, I don't think any of the other qualifying series should be viewed as an upset. And one of those GMs that lose is going to be very happy a few days later when they get the number one pick and won't really care anymore is my guess. So. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, hey, listen, it's uh, another, little, uh, another little quirk in the, uh, in the NHL year, and, it, and you can chalk it up to being 2020. Well, John, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And g- good luck with your other podcasts and the adventures. And enjoy the next few months because it should be fun. It's going to be great. 